Hi, everybody. This is Jean Nathan, and it is Crosstown Conversations. You know, as we talk about um, reopening, whatever that means, whenever that means, at what pace it means, with what risk it means, it's hard living in New Orleans not to think about how we can utilize green space as a priority for um, getting out into the public with less risk, certainly, than being in enclosed quarters, whether it's a restaurant or a store. So my mind's been going in that direction. And also, I, I did some work some time ago uh, advancing the notion of being more aware of our green spaces and landscape and parks in New Orleans, because it's an important part of our um, resources, of, of the whole um, uh, environment of the city, and we just don't pay enough attention to it. So I've invited Diane Allen, who is a landscape architect and a very um, special brain, to join us to talk about um, not only what we can do here, but what's going on elsewhere that is instructive uh, and gives us some ideas for what we can do here. I started to do a Google search to get some idea of what was going on out there, and I just really didn't have time to get very far. So I'm relying on you, Diane, to share with us um, some of the more interesting ways people are, in fact, opening up, or even without opening up, we are allowed to be out in public, in, in parks, um, generally speaking. And of course, we're able to get into our own gardens if we have one. So Give me your perspective on how we can better use our green space to kind of invite us back out. So I am really excited as a landscape architect. I mean, there are a lot of things not to be excited about and to be concerned about um, because of COVID, but uh, there's a new appreciation for the outdoors and for landscape. I mean, one, one great um, impact, and I won't go down this trail, but is that less people are driving. So like the air is clean, cleaner, the animals are out, the birds are singing, you know, because of uh, us being at home. So there's less um, carbon in the air, which is making the outdoors one of the places, you know, a lot cleaner than it was when we were driving around in it. Um, and then people being cooped up, um, want to be out and uh, they feel safe outside, right? Because they feel like, okay, you know, I'm outside, there's cleaner air. But um, this can often be like a misperception because, you know, still, even though you're outside, you still, you know, if you get too close to people, there's still the potential for transmittal. But it's making a new appreciation for green space. I mean, I notice, um, like, I live right across from a park. I'm really and when I'm in New Orleans, I live four blocks from the levee, and I'm really lucky. <laughs> so, because the levee is my park in New Orleans. And yep. so, but I've noticed both in New Orleans and Texas, where I am now, that there are more people outside, I mean, in the park, than there were pre-COVID. And it's because of that feeling of being outside. So, there are two things that need to happen. And this is great that, um, uh, communities or, you know, uh, uh, government officials and private and public entities need to now supply more green space for people to use. That's one thing that needs to happen. 
I had mentioned to you about the Trust for Public Land 10 minute walk program where they believe that there should be a park every 10, at least a 10 minute walk from every citizen. So that's something that really should happen. Um, so the appreciate and as uh, um, and because it becomes available, which we actually think it will as we get to autonomous vehicles and there's less need for parking lots and parking, you know, we should think about turning these new spaces into green spaces. Um, so we need to provide more, but then on the other hand, people need to be to realize that just because you are outdoors doesn't mean that you're less susceptible to transmittal if, if you're close to people. Yeah, and I have to share with you, Diane, a very disturbing um, uh, occasion my husband and I, Bob Tannen and I had on the Sunday before uh, Mother's Day, we went out to City Park. We'd been out a couple times to walk our dog um, in an area where it wasn't too dense. Um, and it just happened to be like park holiday day and the park was filled to the gills. Every parking space was full and it was wonderful to see on the one hand. And then we started noticing that nobody was wearing masks and they were all right on top of each other in groups of any number. And, um, by the time we left the park, and I'd say we were in the park for a couple hours, we had only seen four people with a mask on. So um, I think that there's a, a, a very touchy issue um, with encouraging people to come out and to enjoy the green spaces, and we want that to happen, but also some kind of monitoring that isn't too in intrusive and, and, as they say, scolding, that um, you know reminds people that it isn't fair to other people and their families and associates and friends not to mask. So I, I don't know how you um, parse those those two different dynamics of the need and 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 we would love to see people use our parks more, and that would result ultimately in more investment in them, and they would do well, and yes. it would just change the whole culture of our cities if our green spaces were more used. But uh, I'll tell you, it was really, um, it was disappointing to see uh, on Sunday, all those folks enjoying the park, but putting everybody at risk. Yeah, uh, a couple of things. So I think, you know, like I said, there's this kind of misconception that because, you know, you want to be outside because more vitamin D, which I was looking at some study that said yeah. that people that had deficiency yeah that they had a you know so we want to be outside for vitamin d and for air and all those things but at the same time um according to dr fauci who everyone knows who that is <laughs> the, the um yeah um he he was um explaining this was a while back in one of those uh, um, conferences the president was giving that they're not having right now anyway <laughs> but he was saying how the virus can linger in the air right so like you know because you can't see it and you're outside doesn't mean it's kind of not there that it's not there so if you're close to people it still could be lingering in the air which means you should wear a mask and i think maybe if you know we can get people to understand yeah that 
the thing about your health and that it is, you kind of think I'm outside, I'm in the air, so I'm safer, but it, it can be, it can linger in the air if somebody's been there or too close to you. It can linger in the and air and that, if the breeze is going the right way, hallelujah, and if it's going the wrong way, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And so, you know, if you're, you know, if you're a selfish person, you know, thinking about yourself, you think you would wear a mask. <laughs> Just think about yourself. Yeah. I mean, we want to think about others, but often, unfortunately, in our society, the best way to get people to do things is to, to kind of pinpoint it to home, to where, where, how is it impacting you? So it's impacting you and your family if you're outside without the mask. Well, let's, let's look on the bright side and let's speculate. Um, there was an article today in the New York Times about businesses that are rethinking how they structure their workplaces and their employees uh, in Manhattan. So some of the really big corporations that have thousands of workers in towers in Manhattan are saying, huh, maybe we don't need to have quite so many people all congregating in these offices and they can be working from home more. That's something that's going to come out of this. Whatever comes out of it, we know there's going to be more uh, telecommunicating, right? So um, uh, how, what, what do you see as the potential directions for development of green spaces in, in, in cities as a result of um, the experience we're having now in COVID? So, you know, so what, cleaner air, if it's less traffic, therefore what? Yeah. Well, one thing that happened um, in New York, and actually uh, some people told me about this in Baltimore and in Texas, I don't know about New Orleans, I'll ask, um, I'll ask you, is that um, because there, there wasn't as much traffic, and especially in residential neighborhoods, they were blocking the streets. So they were like, um, barricading the streets on either end for tra for traffic, and then just turning the street into like these like places where people can walk. <laughs> yeah, which is yeah. great, and um, it kind of reminds me. Um, I grew up in New Orleans. I mean, in Baltimore. I moved to New Orleans in my twenties, but I spent my childhood in Baltimore, which is an East Coast, very urban city, and the street was actually our playground. <laughs> You know, because I lived in a Baltimore row house and we would come out and we would play in the streets, you know, and it was great because like the whole community, everybody and all the parents knew where the kids were. So um, I'm thinking, wouldn't it be wonderful? When like, grew up? Are you speaking of when, when I grew, grew up? up or later? Yes. When I grew up. I mean, when I was a kid. Yeah. yeah before I grew up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I spent my 20s on in New Orleans. But before that, I spent, you know, from 18 to a, to a baby, I was in Baltimore. And okay. there, um, which is a, you know, East Coast city, like we played in this, you know, this, the fronts more than the back, the front was where we played. And it just kind of reminds me, and that kind of changed as society changed. And, um, but it's kind of neat that now people are kind of returning to that, like blocking their streets. Even here where I am, which is very suburban, uh, people are like blocking the streets and using the streets to come out and walk up and down. They were doing that a lot during the period we were sheltered. So um, yeah, just rethinking the street. And the wonderful thing about New Orleans is, um, which is already, this thing that kind of always perplexed me about <laughs> New Orleans, and I suffered this myself, like I drove almost everywhere, but New Orleans is a real walkable city. 
I mean, you think about like the density of it, the shade, the trees, it has sidewalks, it's got beautiful medians, but everyone drives everywhere and it's such a walkable city. So um, it really, <laughs> there's an opportunity. And I guess it's increasing more as they, you know, increase the streetcars and think more about transit. There's certainly a lot more bike walkable. riding. Yeah. I, I, yes, I'm a whole lot more, which is wonderful. Yeah, I think your two, your two factors in the, in the walking um, issue is the heat of summer, which pretty much is about to start now in, in late May. And um, that continues through late September. And then from then through May again, that's, that's beautiful. And we do walk, uh, but I, th I think we walk not distances as much as some people do some places, but like within the French Quarter or yes. uh, again within uh, Magazine Street where the shopping mm -hmm. is or St. Claude where the art studios are, et cetera, the art galleries. Um, so um, I, I think uh, a way to probably encourage more distance walking goes to your issue of the, what the street is, looks like. And, and um, you know, now we have bike lanes, so that's a, a, a you, know, you should see the bikes on Esplanade Avenue now, it's crazy. Yes. Um, but um, okay. how about landscaping? Uh, I seem to remember when the landscape convention was here um, a couple of years ago, there was a lot of talk about, I want to say Boston, or it was definitely the Northeast somewhere, where they were um, creating these kind of um, islands of green along yes. walking paths, along streets. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I wonder if something like that would encourage people uh, to come out more. Now, again, we already have a lot of green space, yes. right? Yes, so we have the, the neutral grounds, <laughs> which are lovely green spaces. How about that, the yeah. neutral grounds, exactly. <laughs> the grounds yeah. We have never, I don't think to my knowledge, really made um, great use of our neutral grounds. What if we had, uh, uh, you know who makes use of the of the neutral grounds? Are the chess players, the guys yes. who are out there on their crates and play dominoes yes. and chess. Yes. And, um, yes. they're, they're they figured out how to use it. But mm -hmm. beyond that, yes. that's a very sort of natural, um, mm -hmm. you know, street neighborhood based uh, approach. But if we figured out a way to encourage that um, yes. and and create spaces where people can hang out and um, and put attractions out on uh, some of the, uh, the neutral grounds. I mean, they spent a lot of money putting sculptures out on Poydra Street. Well, you're not gonna be able to sit on a neutral ground on Poydra Street. Because the traffic is dense. So what about mm -hmm. some kind of effort to look at how we might be placing public work, public art in on the neutral grounds around the city? Yeah, I mean, I think that goes to rethinking like the public ground, like rethinking the cartway or from building to building because we take so much, now New Orleans probably isn't as bad as a lot of cities, but we take so much of that space up with cars. And you know, if we take less space up for cars, maybe cut things down to two lanes or one lane and then have more space for, for people. And then also utilizing the green space that you have, like the neutral grounds, like, um, I mean, having, because if you look at the St. Charles Neutral Ground, which has the streetcar in it, all the time you see people running. <laughs> a lot of the college people, they run up and down there. Or, um, you know, on Esplanade, there was a part where it looks like they started to try to put a walking path. But if you could put some kind of, you know, it's permeable and not, not concrete, but something 
that's permeable and pretty soft to walk on. Yeah, I think when that was done, when that was last done, as I recall, that was like, I want to say in the late 70s, mm. maybe, uh, and it was gravel. So it was a mess. The gravel yeah. spread out all over the ground. <laughs> Nobody liked it. And it didn't function as a walking path in about two days. So, yeah. but there, yeah, but there are other materials, yeah, that you could, yeah, that are better that you could now that you could put that people that wouldn't damage the tree roots. That's what I say. You don't want concrete or something, but something that's permeable won't damage the tree roots, but that people can walk on. So, if, if, if let's just say that, nice. let's just say that was a goal. Let's just say at the very, I think there's two things that come to my mind right off the bat. And that is one, making sure people know where the green spaces are. So I remember that Mary Len Costa at the Arts Council years ago did an inventory of green spaces. And I, I tried to reach out to her a couple of days ago to find out if she's got her hands on that and if we could maybe make that available, put that out again. Because it was, I think she said we had, I want to say over 200 what I don't remember whether it was public sculptures or green spaces or a mix of the two. Um, but if we could put something out that told people where they are, that's one. And then two, um, neutral grounds. I mean, if, if, um, if there really was a group of people who uh, would take on the notion of trying to do more with the neutral grounds, I think that would make a big difference. Um, yeah, I mean, if you go to places like, um, if you've ever been to uh, uh, Barcelona, or like, they, they really use their neutral grounds, or their, their medians, or their, you know, neutral grounds. They, they actually have playgrounds in them, and people play bocce ball or picnic in them. You know, a lot of European cities really use those green spaces in the middle. Even with traffic on either side, they, use, they really use them. So, um, and yeah, then I also, know. I think uh, New Orleans, it might be mapped. New Orleans is mapped in that, if, um, I sent a link to you, the Trust for Public Land. New Orleans is um, what, I'm sorry? It's, it's mapped in the, it's part of the Trust for Public Land 10 minute walk. So it, on that link I sent you, they list the cities and where the parks are, and which uh -huh. cities have the percentage of 10 minute walks that are 10 minute park walk. I mean, 10 minutes from, you know, the, res the neighborhoods. Neighborhoods. Uh huh. So it's uh, New Orleans is included in that. And and uh, so they count neutral grounds as park spaces, and they do show that there was. I don't think they count neutral grounds, <laughs> unfortunately, but they count parks. What 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 are deemed as parks? Yeah. So they might That's not even like count. Get the Trust for Public Land on board with us on this, um, and and see maybe they would uh, take this up because. Um, I mean, this is kind of their game. Um, yes. I know the people who are the current leadership of it. I knew some people who were involved with it a few years ago. I have to check into it. But um, yeah, I'd like to see. Now, you know, Inaki Alde, I don't know if you know him. He's the um, new dean of the architecture school of Tulane from okay. Barcelona. And he did oh. <laughs> a, a water use plan for Barcelona. So I think he would be kind of a good place to start also getting him yeah. engaged in this. I, I've talked to him just a little bit about it and I'm still looking to see how, um, how this might fit with uh, um, student access, you know, getting some students involved in uh, doing some planning because, you know, they'll, they'll have the passion. And yes. uh, if it was part of a curriculum, you know, they got to mm -hmm. do the work. So um, it would Yeah. Barcelona is a great city because it has good, public transit, good, you know, walkability, and then it has all those big green spaces in the middle. What do they call them? They have a different word for the neutral grounds. So I'm just, yeah. I, I went there once and I loved that city. I just loved I their <laughs> art 
and to decorative motifs within their architecture. It was amazing. But they had yes, a public space. Rambla, right? The, the main. Oh, the main is that what they call it? It's called the Rambla, R A M B L A, something like that. I have to yeah. check that. Yeah. So, so what's your feeling? If, if you were here in New Orleans at this moment in time, what would you be doing? And uh, I know you'll be back. We yes. always come back. In like a month, I come back. I'm in the summer, it's, we're almost at the end of school. I'll be back <laughs> like oh, okay. in a couple of weeks. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, besides working on my house, uh, what would I be doing? I'd be That's never <laughs> ending. That's never yes. ending. Yes. Um, Probably walking on the levee, which is for sure. I always like to go, that's like one of the first things I do for several reasons. I like to see like what the water level is because you know, we're, we're down at the mouth of the levee and you know. Yeah, you're, Cause you're you know, in the ninth floor. Year. Yeah. Yes. Share, let's always, share with your audit, the audience that. Um, <laughs> yes. You're in the, in the ninth, ninth floor. floor. There yes. is there a very Duffin Street. peaceful yes. green levee. Um, that's yes. assets of the city that's totally discounted. Most people don't know about it, which I'm not sure that's a terrible thing. But. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's like the it's neighborhood selfish. park. And you get the best view of the city from there. You look across because it's at the crescent, you know? And Great see. spot for fireworks. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's really nice. So I go there, you know, just because it's peaceful to you run into your neighbors, but also to check the water level, right? Mm -hmm. um, which has been high lately. Because, yes. <laughs> Yeah, so that's one of the things I would be doing. And then try to, um, you know, catch up with, uh, you know, there's been a lot of changes and things that are happening um, pre and post COVID. Uh, also, I'd also be um, looking at the other end at the Bayou Bienvenue, just because, you know, even since Katrina, like efforts to kind of restore the Cypress you know, have just been difficult. And there have been wonderful attempts, common ground bits and stuff. Other people have done stuff, but just, um, because I guess the depletion was such, even though Mr. Go has closed, so the water is getting more and more um, fresh, let's brackish. Um, you know, of course I'd be down there <laughs> seeing what's happening, you know, at, at mm -hmm. by the new um, door, yeah. And then trying to see how people are adjusting to this. Uh, because uh, especially in the lower ninth ward, because um, we had done that root ad and then this came along. So I think like efforts for development um, so it was kind of starting to happen along St. Claude even. Uh, but um, just saying how this has kind of set things back because I guess it's kind of stopped a lot of things. Well, it's going to be interesting. I mean, you know, nothing is ever exactly as we expect. I remember, of course, during Katrina, we both expected the worst and the best. So we were said, oh, my God, are we going to survive? That was one refrain. And then the other refrain is, we're going to come back and we're going to be great and it's going to be utopian. And that was another refrain. And then there's the real refrain, which is some good Just stuff. Not so, <laughs> some not so yes. great stuff. I think yeah. that's probably what we're going to see. Although I think the one thing that is such a scary thought is that if this really is protracted, of course, and uh, we do um, sink further into a, a real economic depression, then who knows? And the only thing I can say is having lived through Katrina and BP, um, 
uh, and a few other, you know, passing disasters. <laughs> yes. uh, we do, as humans, figure out, okay, what do we have to do? As do all species. I mean, right now you see species moving uh, to migrating to deal with climate change, and, and we're going to have to do that as well. So yes, um, there's yeah. all kinds of factors that will shape us. Well, Diane, yeah. okay. go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, New Orleans is such a place of, uh, um, you know, I mean, that's why I fell in love with it when I came there and never wanted to leave, is because it's about being outside. It's about hugging and greeting people and music and contact. <laughs> so how do you sustain the culture that's kind of based on that in social distance? I think it's a, it's a challenge. You know, how do you have second lines again and Mardi Gras and, you know, Jazz Fest and Essence Fest and all those things that make, you know, and just on a, any Sunday, <laughs> go out and run around the street with people. You know, how, how do you do that? Again? Well, you know, Which I you'll have, have to do it. I have an answer. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> we will. We will. Good, good we will. way to start. Good way and, to end. <laughs> and I, say that, I say that a little bit based on experience because I will never forget the first Halloween parade in the French Quarter after Katrina. I mean, we're talking October and Katrina was the 29th of August, right? A month, two months in and everybody was out in their tarp costumes and their wrapped up refrigerators and all of their political characters. And, and you, you, you watched that and you took a deep breath and said, okay, we're gonna be okay. We're gonna be okay. It's gonna be rough, but we're gonna be okay. Diane, I look forward to seeing you this summer. And yes. Please um, keep me uh, uh, informed um, about any interesting developments that are happening nationally that you think could have an effect here. Um, I can't take on a whole lot more projects in my um, over-committed life, but I can certainly pass on the ideas to people who can uh, get involved, and I'd love to do that. So I surely uh, will. You. Thank you. Thank you for reaching Tell out. Telephonically. Yes, nice seeing you, too. Thank you so much. Take care, Diane. Bye. Bye-bye. Paul Soniat um, is the genius behind the Botanical Garden in City Park. And he has managed to uh, bring that garden forward through a lot of difficult times. We worked together during Katrina, so uh, we made it through that. And um, now we're going through um, one that's, uh, I, I think, in many ways, a little bit more devastating, really, especially when you look at it from the global standpoint. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of hoping that as we come out of um, this viral um, uh, crisis that we're in, that folks will really take up the use of parks more on a regular basis. Certainly we're out there now, and I was out there the Sunday before last, and I was shocked at how many people were in the park. Unfortunately, too many of them were not using masks, and that kind of horrified me, but um, it was great to see literally bumper-to-bumper -bumper cars and on the other hand, I know that's still not really solving some of the financial issues that you all are having to deal with. So there's so many uh, pluses and minuses to this whole situation. Paul, um, put your arms around it for me and tell me um, how uh, you at the Botanical Garden are feeling about this. And I, if I understand correctly, you're getting ready to open. Um, so um, um, we're actually getting ready to open this Saturday. Um, now. Yeah. And we. We're trying to get ready. We 
we, we uh, are down some of our staff. And basically when all of this happened, the park, you know, does rely pretty much 90% on self-generated funds. So we had to let some contractors go. They, they let part-time employees go. So we've been, we've been luckily, at least our out, uh, horticultural staff has been outside working. So the gardens uh, have looking pretty good. And uh, there's still some things that we need to do. Just this week, we, we have a lot of volunteers back in. So they're coming back and that's a oh, big that's thing. great. That's um, a, that's a real uh, pine to you to the, that they are coming back under the circumstances. That's yeah. great. And then last week we had our first online plant sale. It did well. We're going to have another one. That's how did I miss that? I don't know. You got to stay tuned, Gene. Do you get our email blast? You should be on our email blast. You know, I I I've been a member for most of my life that I can think of. But honestly, I don't know whether I'm on your yeah. whether I'm a member and on your list right now. I have to check that out. Well, okay. we did that, and we had our first uh, Mother's Day produced a Mother's Day dinner that was all online orders and they picked up at Thomas. So we did that. So, you know, in some ways, I mean, we may have started some things that'll carry on and continue even after we're open. Um, so in essence, that's good. But we are, we are going to be open this week. We're not going to open seven days. We were open seven days before, but now we're going to be open Wednesday through Sunday with extended hours on Wednesday and Thursday from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. so people can enjoy the garden in the evening as it gets a little warmer. And uh -huh. Are you going to uh, start up your, um, I don't imagine you want to do your concerts yet, right, that you used to do on Thursdays? No, we can't do that yet. Um, yeah. So no live entertainment and that we don't, you know, we don't anticipate when that, we don't know when that's going to be able to start up. Um, but so, so what's, what's your take on um, how, I mean, obviously the adjustments at the moment are, you know, kind of a daily adjustment to the realities, but um, what do you see the long-term impact of this being for you? Has this um, kind of engendered any visions or ideas? You're always so full of ideas for what you can do in the park. Um, what's, what's your feeling for how you see things evolving as we come out of this phase of the epidemic? I mean, we don't really know what's going to happen long-term, but what's your sense of it? Well, um, you know, I think, I think people like you said earlier are, um, have been using the park more and more. And um, I think people need that kind of mental relaxation. And I think that's something that the garden can do more and more in the future, especially coming out of this, but also as we become more technologically involved everyday life, it's, you know, it's good just to have a mental break to come out here and uh, enjoy the garden, enjoy some of the programming we do. So I think, I think botanical gardens and park are really in the forefront of growth in the future, you know, for things that we can do in the city. Right. Um, there was an interesting article. Um, I think it was a Park Rec and Recreation magazine or somewhere I, I read that uh, as far as people being comfortable going back to facilities, botanical gardens were, as far as the museums, botanical gardens are right at the top of the list because, I mean, one, we're outdoor and people felt safe. So 
you know, that's, that's a good sign. That's exactly um, where I'm coming from on this story is thinking that um, as we talk about um, getting back out um, and also, um, you know, attracting visitors again, a lot of visitors still, even though we certainly try to put that word out there during uh, after Katrina, that we are a green city with lots of gardens, both public and private. Um, people still don't really think of New Orleans that way. They think of the music, the food, and Bourbon Street, and so on. But um, I, I think that now is once again a time when um, we have to remind people that, yeah, one of the, the attractions of New Orleans for those of us who live here is how green we are and, right. um, and to encourage people to come and use the gardens. So um, what, what, do you see any kind of programming direction that you might be going in? Anything new on, on the horizon? Well, um, you know, we're going to be limited for anything in, in the buildings as of right now. So, yeah. you know, I, we, we had a summer camp. We're not, not going to be doing that. Our education programs. And so I think uh, we can do some things in the kitchen, uh, do outdoor programming. Um, I'm thinking about doing a, like, uh, dinner in your secret garden where we could do meals out of the kitchen and let people take them to various places in the garden, different tables. Oh, I love uh, that idea. I and, think that's great. Uh, yeah, and people would, you know, we'd probably do something like that where we would sell tables. So you would feel comfortable with who you're sitting with, and you might be in the shade garden or the Alfarez garden or the new um, sundial garden or, you know, or the kitchen or wherever, you know. So I think that that's something we're going to try to do later. So, so before we leave um, the sundial garden and the kitchen, the kitchen I know a little bit about because I went to a birthday party. That was my last outing, Paul, before really? I went into lockdown. Yeah, yep. I believe it. My, my best friend, one of my best friend's um, birthday parties, and it was just about, I don't know, 10 of us, I think, um, outdoors. So, you know, you, you felt like it was okay, borderline. And um, it was a little bit of a group, maybe a few too many of us, but I don't think anybody got sick. Um, but that that new facility is nothing short of spectacular. And I don't know how many people know about it. So give me, uh, give us just a little bit of a um, description of, of what you got there. Well, it's called a, a kitchen in the garden. It's an outdoor kitchen that we built right in the middle of the vegetable garden. So it allows us to do a lot of programming related to fresh vegetables and how to harvest them, how to grow them, how to prepare uh, your, your meals with them. Uh, also, you know, New Orleans, like musicians, is a, is a city of great wealth and, and chefs and culinary masters. So we, we have a lot of different celebrity chefs come in and do programs, more of a, a dinner series that we, we had last spring and last fall. We also have demonstrations if you want to uh, learn how to make pastas or different things or the best herbs and things. So right now we don't have any program scheduled, but but hopefully as soon as we get word, we I think that'll come back quicker than some of the other ones. Uh, but that was a facility that we raised money through our Botanical Garden Foundation and Magic in the Moonlight, which is our fundraiser. Right. We raised money for that over a few years. And it I think it's one. It's a very first-class facility, a beautiful facility, and people just love being out there. I mean, you went there; it was yeah. such a relaxing. I loved it. Yeah. Bar, you know? yeah. What about the sundial garden? That's new. That, 
that's one where we haven't finished yet. It's um, it's it's a new garden that has been donated by the Backer family. The uh, Backer family has been involved in City Park since probably the 40s and 50s with wow. different board members. And uh, this this garden and sundial is designed by Robin Tanner, not Robin yeah. <laughs> Tannen. No, I know about Robin Tanner. <laughs> well, he did Alvarez too, right? Yeah, he did the Alvarez Garden and our Japanese Alvarez garden. is so gorgeous. Also. It's, a, it's a, called the Garden of the Sun, and it's based around a big sundial that is going to be cast. It hasn't been cast yet in the shape of a what's going to be called the Crescent City Sundial. And it's a garden that has a really sun-loving plant, so it's going to be a lot of agaves and sedums and other uh, succulents. Well, that sounds beautiful. And of course the Alferez garden is utterly spectacular. And um, the most recent video that you sent us, which we're going to actually feature as part of our um, uh, uh, video program, our, our tour program that we have on the Creative Alliance uh, website. And uh, that's going to be uh, really beautiful. Um, uh, 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 the video that I have is the swoopy one. Um, I don't know exactly how that was done, but it's pretty amazing. And you said you had another one, maybe? Yeah, actually, I just sent you um, uh, one via a transfer site of a video that was actually with some music I wrote years ago about the garden. And um, one of our board members, Caroline Riley, uh, put some video to it. I think it's really really came out well. Great. I'm, I'm looking forward to that as well. Well, it sounds like um, you, you guys are not um, to be corny, letting any grass grow under your feet. <laughs> and um, you're um, pushing ahead. And uh, I, I do think we are going to continue to see people really caring more for and being a part of the parks of the city. So um, we have one of the uh, I, you have to be one of the premier of botanical gardens in the country. I don't know enough about it to know where how you rank or anything, but it is a beautiful garden with so many sub-gardens because you've also yeah. got the rain garden and the Japanese garden and the rose gardens and the um, all of the, the, um, the I don't know what you call your reflecting pool in front of the... Yeah, lily ponds. And, right. And so. As far as botanical gardens go, we're not real big, but we have a lot to see in a very small... Uh, um, acreage. There's a lot going on because we have so many gardens that are divided into little rooms. So right. you, have a, you have a really full experience going in there. I am a fan and anybody who sets foot in the Botanical Garden uh, starting again uh, this weekend, you're going to be open from Thursdays through Sundays. Now we're going to open this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, and then close Monday and Tuesday. So it's going to be Wednesday through Sunday. But, but, extended hours on Wednesday and Thursday. We're going to be open until 8 p.m. And of course, on your website is all the information. So yeah, why don't you and uh, you can follow website? us on Instagram and Facebook. We're trying to do more and more posts. I think everybody during this time are more socially social media connected, and we're trying to do more of that. Well, good luck with that. Hope you're better at it than me. <laughs> um, thanks so much, Paul, for uh, giving us some time. And um, listen, um, um, I'll, I'll try to be there on your opening day. I'm looking forward to it. All right, Jane. Thank you.
and I, I hope it's a, a very success and everybody's there. And, and what are you going to do about getting people to use masks, though? Well, you know, we're putting signs out. We, you know, all of the, the staff are going to have masks, and we're going to request that people visiting, you know, have their mask on. And we just hope they follow, follow good orders. <laughs> I hope so, too. All right. Well, back to the park and to the Botanical Garden in particular. Thank you so much, Paul Soniat. All right, thank you. Thank you, Jean. So I'm speaking with Ayana Mistecki. Yes, Mistecki, correct. Not bad. And Michael A. Newcomer. Yes, ma'am. All right. And Michael is an actor and um, uh, one of the founders of Crescent City Stage. And Yana Mistecki is also, uh, are you a founder or you just came I in? I am a founder. And we're actually missing our third person. There are three of us. Um, and that is Liz Elkins Newcomer. Um, okay. In, in short notice, we, we all have children that we tend to. <laughs> so you get two out of the three of us. That's, that's great. I'm glad to have you. So we don't have a ton of time. I uh, mainly just wanted to, I, I saw the email come across from Joe and I said, well, let me give it a push. And we have a little bit about it in our newsletter. Uh, but I wanted to catch just a moment on the, uh, on, on the radio show as well. So let's dive right in. Right. You, are, you are doing virtual Shakespeare. So Yana, give me some feeling for what you're trying to do with this. Sure. Um, and Michael, you know, feel free to jump in at any point. So we actually began the reading series uh, just about a month ago, and we did Chekhov's Uncle Vanya as our first read. Um, and then we did uh, The Importance of Being Earnest next, two weeks apart. And so Shakespeare is the third installment of our reading series. Um, this company has been founded, so to speak, in a global pandemic, which is a curious choice for many, but it's been a wonderful opportunity for us. We are all professional actors, proud members of our union, and it has been an amazing opportunity to, to use that experience to not only bring in the local community of New Orleans into the work that we're doing, that, but, but also to have a larger national reach and bring some really accomplished actors into the fold. Um, that's one of the things that I think, and my this that we're so incredibly proud of in terms of the work that we're trying to do in this particular landscape, and and to have so many of the artists of this caliber jump at the opportunity to do it, and for New Orleans to be a central to that effort is really exciting for 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 all of us. I think. I think that's what's so interesting. Yeah, is that you're doing that now with drama in New Orleans, based in New Orleans. It's just fantastic. Michael, how does it feel to be in a company of you know people from uh, everywhere? It feels great, and I, you know we're we're taking what is a, an awful, unfortunate um, time and trying to make the most of it. And it's a it's such a unique opportunity to gather folks that we wouldn't necessarily have the resources to gather uh, in our community. So to see faces that we, uh, that are friends of ours or colleagues from shows past and then new faces that have been introduced to us to create this real national community, theater community, you know, streaming from New Orleans, but then also have a real national audience base. So oftentimes when you do a play, you're um, only performing to those people that live in that town. So if mom and dad live in Pennsylvania, they don't get to see the show. Yeah. This is, it's just an incredible chance for anybody and everybody to see this work. 
So, you know, we're, we're kind of stuck with having to do public domain uh, pieces, which is not a bad thing. There's lots of great public domain stuff. They're, the rights to shows are hard to get. Everybody's trying to figure that out. Uh, and we tend to come from a classical background. So national community, local community, a couple of hours of escapism during these trying times uh, really is trying to make the most out of what we would normally be doing, which is programming a traditional season. Doing so a traditional I, I, can't, I can't help, um, I can't resist asking you though about what we start, what I started off the interview with um, about the resonance that, that Macbeth has with our po political um, drama going out in our country today. How, how um, either one of you reflect on uh, how you think people are going to uh, respond to seeing the Macbeth story in the context of our rather uh, scary political... Well, it's not as overtly um, parallel, let's say, as the Oscar Eustace's Shakespeare in the Park Caesar from a couple seasons back. Um, I think the beauty of this play is that it is a classic. It resonates thematically, as does most Shakespeare, um, in, in many different directions. I think some people will see striking parallels. There might be two, be others to, to our current political situation. There might be others who choose just to, just to enjoy it for the sake of it being a classic Shakespeare production. Um, I, you know, I, I absolutely, hear what you're saying. Um, and it is certainly, you know, when you, I mean, you're playing Macbeth, uh, Michael, so you might want to be the one to, I mean, I'm playing Lady Macbeth, but, uh, you know, you might have a greater insight in, into how you want that character to be viewed. I don't want to speak for you. Well, with all, with all due respect to the, to the questioner, uh, I was taught to never talk about politics around the uh, Zoom. <laughs> so, but I, th I think you're right. And I think uh, the beauty of Shakespeare uh, is that it is um, it, it is timeless and it's as though it was written a month ago. Now the language can be difficult for some if you've never been exposed to it, uh, but the beauty of the Zoom reading of Shakespeare is it really strips it down to how it was originally intended, which was to be heard. Uh, when you watched Shakespeare in the, in the Globe, it was raucous and there were five intermissions and there was booze and food and mutton <laughs> and, you know, it was a five, six hour event because it was the thing that you did that month. So to, to, to distill it down to the language, yeah. uh, you know, trying to tell the story as simply and as purely as possible, if it resonates in any shape or form with someone, then I think we've done our job as storytellers. Is that a good politic answer? <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, uh, yes. Um, I, I've, I've, uh, I think a lot of, uh, I'm a former journalist and, and still a journalist with my radio show and my newsletter, but um, there used to be a, a lot more reserve about expressing our opinions than there is right now because everybody's just so frustrated uh, right. with uh, what we're dealing with. So um, I think we're all a little bit less politics, so, so to speak. But Well, um, I can say as a method actor, we can, you know, we can, we can channel whatever that is on the inside into these characters and no one will ever know. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So um, Shakespeare, uh, it's going to be Monday night, is it? At 730. So how, now tell people how to, um, how to access the program. 
So it's really easy. Uh, go to www.crescentcitystage.com, just as it sounds. There's an RSVP link right on the homepage. Uh, plus, if you cursor down a little bit, you'll get to see our, our beautiful cast that we've assembled. Put your name in and your email. And on Sunday, you will receive an email from us uh, with the link. Uh, we live stream to YouTube. Uh, it's really simple. You can watch from the comfort of your home with your favorite cocktail. Uh, you don't even have to get dressed up to go out. Uh, so it's crescentcitystage.com. And then we're also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, but I think the website's the easiest to direct people to. To direct so people to. Monday, May 8th, oh. 7.30. I think it sounds fantastic. And um, thank you for doing it. And uh, every cultural contribution right now, which I know is harder to put together, uh, you would, I think it might be easier in some ways, um, but it's not. It's harder because it's all sort of a new process. So uh, we appreciate it for the set for New Orleans to be able to enjoy what you're doing. And I'm uh, stay in touch and let us know the next performance you're doing. And we'll definitely give that a, a shout out as well. They're every right. two weeks. <laughs> All right. Um, you. Thank you for the time. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Yana Mistecki and um, Michael uh, Newcomer um, are going to uh, entertain you on Monday night. You know, that's a great night to entertain because, you know, it's, it's Monday. <laughs> right. We'll get you over the hump for the week. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. This has been Crosstown Conversations. This is Jean Nathan on WBOK, What People Are Talking About.